It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the podcast for this Thursday and the weekend edition. Richard Skinner from Local12.com, the digital sports columnist and editor, along with Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Boring of Musketeer Report. We're in three separate faces of the earth as we do this podcast this afternoon. Um, it'll be up, obviously, at some point on Thursday, and you can listen to it Friday and leading into some Saturday games. Let's start first and foremost with uh, with UC's win last night. Chad, um, kind of a routine, mundane kind of a win, but the bounce back that UC needed after the SMU game. Yeah, especially in the second half. I thought they, they started out slow. USF, to their credit, they played this, you know, like a 1-2-2 two, two sagging press and back into a 3-2 zone. It was something that they haven't really played all year, and I thought it threw the UC offense off uh, early, made some adjustments at halftime, started getting the ball down to the baseline in the short corner, uh, an attack in the middle of the zone at the rim, and finally got going a little bit. Um Kyle Washington and Gary Clark both had pretty good games. Troy Copain hopefully broke out of his slump with a three that he made. Um, but, you know, just a routine. You know, it was it was a 24-point game with two minutes left, and then SMU started – or USF started chucking in everything that they could throw in to make it, you know, look a little bit closer than it was. But ultimately they, they dominated the second half and pulled away and did what they had to do. Yeah, and, and really, you're coming off such an emotional game. You're going on the road. You you know in human nature, you know how bad South Florida is. You beat the tar out of them here. I just think the fact that it was kind of a professional-type win of just taking care of business still says a lot about this team. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been what SMU had to go through where they right. – uh, <laughs> Came from behind. A, they played a terrible two-lane team whose offense is pretty good, Rick. Um <laughs> <laughs> And, and they, they showed it for they showed it for a half last night. Yeah, they were down 15 at the half and and managed to come back and win by seven. But I think that game, you know, it just shows that that both of those teams were, you know, that that game was circled and and everybody was focused on it. They had two lesser games, you know, coming back from it, and, and both of them were kind of sloppy early. Um, Cincinnati just was able to to take control and. It, it was it was very workmanlike. There wasn't there was nothing flashy about it at all, Skinny. You made the point that Troy Copain made the made a made the three. Actually, was it was his only three uh, yeah. to maybe break that slump, and maybe it is. I mean, he has just he struggled the last two games, really shooting the ball. He just one for five last night, but who knows? Maybe making one is a step. It's a, it's at least a step in the right direction. Well, you can tell it's in his head right now. He's trying to aim. Um, you know, he's not just catching and releasing and letting the ball go. He's, he's in his head. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you see guys put so much pressure on themselves to, to, to be perfect, especially it's your senior year and you're trying to win big and you get in a slump in the middle of the season. And instead of just letting the game flow and come to you, you kind of, you're kind of pressing. And like I said, it looks like he's trying to aim the ball at times. Um, you could see, I mean, when, when the three went in, you could see his shoulders drop and like a sigh of relief, uh, come over him finally getting to see the ball go through the net from the outside. So hopefully he just is able to relax and let it go. I mean that, you know, that we've seen guys go through slumps and it's okay to have one right now, a week and a half yeah. two weeks from now, yeah, you exactly. want to be over it. Yeah. Um, I guess the other good part too is you get a you get that as the soft landing part, and now they come home to play a Tulsa team that, that since that loss to UC, they, they, that actually was the first of a five game losing streak for yeah. Tulsa. Maybe you can carry that over into into a home game, um, get some offense back together because let's face it, UC has been very good offensively at home. So you get the soft landing place with South Florida, and then you get to, to roll it over into a team that's just really struggling right now, and you get to go back to a place where you shot the ball pretty well as a team. Yeah, it'll be interesting. The one thing we haven't seen much of this year is playing that early Saturday game. They've got a noon game, which noon tip, right? To my knowledge, they haven't had one at home in a long time since you know back in the 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 by game portion of the schedule, uh, if even then. So we'll see how you know the team reacts to that. Hopefully, they'll come out firing. Um, it, it really is amazing what they did to that Tulsa team because. That team just looks broken after, you know, they put everything they had into beating Cincinnati at home. When it didn't happen, it's almost like their, their season kind of fell apart. I mean, that, they look like a team that was poised to, to finish pretty strong in the conference three weeks ago and, 
and now they they look like they're struggling to put the ball in the basket and um, their, their youth is showing, you know, quite a bit. I, when you look at that team, it's easy to forget, you know, this far into the season that they graduated nine guys last year. And that's an entirely new group that, that just hasn't really figured out a way to put it together yet. Yeah, it's interesting. They, if they'd have beaten UC that night, they'd have been seven and two in the league, and now they're uh, they're six and seven, and, and certainly really struggling. Let's turn to Xavier. Um, quick, quick, Rick, update, quick update on Tulane: two fifty seventh yes. in the country, two hundred eleventh. They've dropped now to offensive efficiency, three hundredth in the country in three point <laughs> shooting percentage, and three hundred twenty fourth in two point shooting percentage. They're a juggernaut offensively. Quite they honestly. are. They're, they're, they're really good. All and I SMU's know is defense 40, is clearly they, impossible hey. to score on. They popped 42 on SMU and a half last night. That's pretty good. SMU clearly impossible to score on at Moody Coliseum. <laughs> no, no doubt. UC proved that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, touch on Xavier. Um, Trayvon Blewett did not play. I know on the podcast on Monday you suggested maybe for a lot of different reasons he doesn't play any of these three road games. The next one against Marquette on Saturday night on the road. Do um, you think this is a game-by-game thing, or is this maybe the, the first in, in a process where maybe he doesn't play any of these? Well, Xavier's going to play it in public like a game-by-game thing. They're intentionally going to be vague and make everyone think he's coming back each game, potentially. I didn't get the sense from the game. Like, look, if he had to come out of the Villanova game when you were in the Villanova game and had a chance to win still in the second half and he couldn't finish it, it was was fairly serious. I mean, the injury had to be somewhat significant considering he already had the adrenaline going. He was, you know, he was playing well. it, It had to be a significant injury to hold him out of that. So I knew he wasn't going to play in this one. And with what Chris Mack said last night, which was that, um, they needed to figure out a way without Trayvon going forward, made it sound like he doesn't expect Trayvon to be back at least in the, you know, the next game. Um, and, and really, without him, there just isn't enough offense. Rasheed Gatson with another really – I mean, he's put together a string of really good offensive performances, but there just isn't enough offense without him. Yeah, oh, and I mean, here's the thing. Last night, they scored, only scored 31 points in the first half, but had a 31-29 lead. Now, Chris's thing after that was, we didn't miss Trayvon in the first half. We were able to build a lead without him. My uh, response to that would be, yes, but – you only scored 31 points. You right. got lucky that they were missing shots at home. And turnovers were the issue in the second half without question. They gave the ball up too much, which led, led to runouts. There was some bad defense. But to me, that was more of a result of there's too much pressure on the guys offensively. There's sometimes nowhere to go with the ball. Now, is there a lazy pass or a careless mistake by JP at times? He had six turnovers? Of course. Uh, but... To me, it was more about the fact that, like you said, there just wasn't enough offensive firepower to to get on a run to stop uh, to stop Providence from from their run, and uh, it, it kind of carried over, I think, on the defensive end and into the turnovers. Well, obviously, a lot of the offensive pressure falls on on JP McCura, and and it it really look and he's not a guy that seems like he lets the game come to him. He really doesn't. It seemed like he even forced it even more last night. I think that was a little bit of your fear on Monday. Yeah, but I, honestly, I thought JP did a decent job of trying to do what he needed to do to help the team. You wish he could get the turnovers under control. But again, I mean, when you're out there playing without a starting point guard, without your best scorer, you may have to do a little bit extra and, and make some turnovers. Now, we've seen him do that all year, so it's certainly something that he struggles with in general. Uh, but that's kind of the way things are without Edmund and without Trayvon. You mentioned Rashid Gaston. Um, it is great that he's had back-to-back double-doubles. The problem is... Providence is like the worst front court in the league. He already dominated them once early in the season uh, and then didn't really carry that over into future Big East performances. And against Villanova, they literally didn't have a center. Daryl Reynolds. No, they don't. Yeah, they, they have no post so, presence. Absolutely. So we got a double double yeah. in that game, too. But again, against no centers, that's just not going to happen in most other games. Rick, I, I, I got a question. Sure. Do they need to tell Malcolm Bernard, just go back to the way that you were last year and, and start? jacking up some shots and trying to generate, you know, be a, a, an outside source of offense on the perimeter that they haven't, that they don't have other than JP right now. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a bad idea or a bad thought in terms of, it'd be nice to see Malcolm be more aggressive. If not, even if he's, even yeah. if he goes three for 10 or three for 11 and doesn't make those shots, just be more of a threat, make the defense think about you a lot more. That being said, I don't know if this is much of a thing where Malcolm's trying to fit it into a role 
as it is, he's doing what he feels comfortable with at this level. Yeah. I don't think he feels like he can go get buckets at this level, to be quite honest. And maybe I'm wrong about that, um, but it's not something I expect to see going forward, although I do think it would help them if he was at least a little more aggressive. It, it just seems like right now, like, he's kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. He's not looking to really you know, attack. He's playing very like within everything that they want him to do. Not that, that, that I think what he's doing is wrong. Right. I just think, you know, with, with Trayvon out, maybe you, you prod him a little bit and say, Hey man, why don't you go get us nine, 10, 11 shots and, and we'll see where we go from there until Trayvon comes back. I, I'm just spitballing ways for this offense to, to get going. But, I- in the situation they're in. I think they're telling him that, to be quite honest. I'm sure he's hearing something like that in practice right now. Yeah. Um, I, to be quite honest, though, I think the guy that if if there is going to be some upside out of this current personnel, it comes from Kaiser Gates. I mean, he showed Absolutely. up last night with a three and then a drive from the, the right wing across the lane, finished on the left side on two consecutive possessions. But that's all he did. They need more out of him. Or, I mean, we're you know, he's a sophomore. We're not getting to the point where – he is what he is, but it is there's a lot of talent coming in next year. So Kaiser Gates has a huge opportunity right now to kind of carve out a spot for himself to show the coaches, hey, I can be a significant contributor in the Big East. And so far, he hasn't done a lot with that opportunity. Uh, next up is Marquette on the road, and, and you know it's interesting when you talked about maybe not playing Trayvon for these three games for, for various reasons. One being obviously if he's still too hurt to play, you're not going to play the guy. But they're still in a spot where it doesn't. They they still have a chance to maybe control their destiny to still get to that two or three seed in the conference tournament. Butler's nine and five; they still have to come here, and Butler still has to go to Villanova, I believe. Creighton, I think, still has to go to Villanova. So you've got um, you've got an opportunity, even if you lose these next couple road games, to still be fighting for the two or three seed in the league. Yeah, no question. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing that's obviously tough for the Xavier team right now is they're right in the thick of it, man. Like everyone from the outside world is kind of like, oh man, tough season for Xavier. They, they tried hard. They just, you know, injuries and the Miles Davis and everything caught up to them and they are what they are. But Xavier's looking at it from the perspective of what are you, what are you guys talking about? Like we're still competing for the Big East title. The Big East is one of the best conferences in the country and we can still get a good seed in the NCAA tournament. That being said, the pro- the problem with the stretch they're facing right now is all three of these road games are against teams that are right on the bubble fighting for right. the NCAA tournament lives, and Xavier's the wounded caribou wandering across the uh, safari right now. Boy, how bad yeah, is the they- bubble? Awful. I mean, Clemson is legitimately still in it, and they're, I- they're <laughs> second to last in the ACC. I mean- it, it, it is an epic year for, for the old B. Snow adage of that, by rule, 68 teams have to get in somehow. Like I'm, the no, more- no, I went, I went, I went through and counted, um, what was it, maybe Sunday, or it might have been Sunday. I went through and I usually try to just go conference by conference and go, you know, these, 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 these. I, so I came up six short. I literally came up six short of teams I would count in the tournament. That, that's how bad the bubble is. I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't a lot more than that, quite honestly. I feel like, I feel <laughs> well, like we say and I, this and every I, year. Trust me, I, I, I stretched a couple, too, probably. put 12 in the ACC in. <laughs> I think I did. I think I put 10 at least. <laughs> I'm kind of crazy. I don't think that's crazy. unrealistic. I think they're predicting 10, all the bracketologists, and some think 11. Yeah, I mean, Bracket Matrix right now also, Rick, and I think I know you look at it constantly. This was updated last night. Has Marquette and Seton Hall in the field as 11 seeds right now? Yeah, I mean, that's not a surprise. I mean, when you look at it, it makes sense. Um, and, and Marquette, this is a really tough team for Xavier to play in the situation that they're in, considering Marquette shoots their number one in the country in three-point percentage, shooting 41.9% from deep. Um, they just have a lot of options, and Xavier right now is trying to play zone, trying to hide guys, trying to keep them rested on the defensive end. Uh, it's going to be a tough matchup. That being said, as you all know, I like Xavier's coaching matchup in that one. So, And they slap the floor. I mean... Oh man! Well, that's that's carried them to a 170th 70th in the country defensive rating. On think where the, well, can you imagine? Can you imagine yeah. what it would be if they didn't slap the floor? Hell, they exactly. might get another five stops a game because they wouldn't be out of position from reaching down to <laughs> smack the hardwood, or, or so tired by the end from slapping the hardwood, wear them out doing that stuff. Uh, let's touch on something that, that that kind of broaches both leagues and, and a story from yesterday that that's kind of been denied by by both parties. But but the possibility of UConn jumping from the AAC to the Big East, um, UConn denied it. The Big East is denied. There's been discussions. Of course, that's what they're going to say. Um, do you buy any possibility of this, either one of you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's real. Um, Brian Snow, he he would have been a good guy to have on this podcast, and he and I are going to do a full podcast about this later, um, maybe this week or next week. Uh, but 
he's had conversations with some people in, in high positions in the beast recently. And this is very much real. And, and UConn's really pushing for it. They're pushing hard. Now, I don't know how feasible the logistics are, but from the way UConn is approaching it, they must think they can make it work. From some conversations I had yesterday, apparently the Mac has offered them a spot, a soft landing spot for football. Interesting. Oh, really? See, I had heard because that, that was the one thing. It, yeah, that was the one major question mark with this was where would football go? They'd well, either have to find a conference or try to play as an independent, which is obviously unless you're Notre Dame, very difficult to do. And what it could be, Rick, is is both could have offered them, you know, and it's it's up to UConn to pick whether they want to take it to the MAC or take it to Conference USA. I mean, which is pretty uh, ideal if you're UConn for, from the football perspective. I think that works great. I mean, if I were them, I'd almost in that situation be tempted to just go one double A with it. I know. Yeah. Perception wise, they probably don't want to just because they've spent a lot of money on their football program and saying you were dropping it to one double A would essentially just be sticking a fork in it. But that's what you're doing anyway. I mean, well, and they, and they I mean, were I mean, they were one double A, what, 20 years ago. They haven't been one A for that long. Right. I, I, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't think putting your football program in the MAC is ending your program. Like, I think you can still be a successful program, especially if you're like a UConn in the MAC. Well, West, in Western Michigan, you got to the Cotton Bowl out of it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it's not a, it's not a death sense. It doesn't mean you're over. The MAC plays pretty good football. In fact, I don't know that UConn would be a favorite in that conference. <laughs> I, I, the way that they've played lately, they wouldn't be. Um, and and it, it also might explain the Randy Edsel hire. I mean, if. if you know, if you've got to put that on the table when you're making a hire, how many guys are really going to be fired up to take that job? And right. you end up going back to Randy Edsel and saying, hey, man, look, this is kind of what we're trying to do. Um, I know everybody denies it. I'm getting to the point I'm almost going to be surprised if they stay in the AAC. And my my argument would be you're not finishing in the middle of the AAC every year because – the AAC is hurting your basketball program. You're finishing in the middle of the AAC every year because Kevin Ollie's your coach. And yeah, but I think that's I think that's their belief, though. Chad is, is that the is. AAC is hurting them. Yeah, yeah. Well and, well, and more importantly, they're they're just worried that you keep struggling in the AAC, and I mean, it is going to catch up to you. It is correct. going to hurt your recruiting going yeah. forward. This UConn one national champions thing will wear off. So someone will find out that Kevin Ollie can't coach, and then they become UMass. I mean, but they're going to yeah, right. the Big East and become Georgetown. I, I talked to somebody, a scout, a couple weeks ago that said they look nothing like UConn of past. There's no toughness. There's no physicality. There's no fight. And, and they're just it, there's talent, but there's it. It doesn't work together. It doesn't fit together. They don't play well together. You know, Jalen Adams couldn't hold Shabazz Napier's jock in terms of gutting a team to a win and, and knowing what it takes right. to, to get there and, and to be a good team. And I think, you know, a lot of that to me, and I've been saying it for a long time, I think it comes back to Ollie. I just yeah. – I don't think going to the Big East fixes their problem. I think it exposes their problem if they go to the Big East, and you'll see Kevin Ollie out of there a lot sooner than he would be in the American. Right, but that but that's the thing. I mean, you're thinking of it in a very – right now what's their yeah. status and this isn't this move for them isn't about today this is about what does this mean for our future and whether kevin ollie's the right guy or he's the one screwing it up that can be fixed the problem is if it doesn't get fixed soon enough and you stay in that conference their thought process is this screws us long term because then we do stop getting recruits whereas you go to the big east at least like Georgetown may stink and they've stunk for a while, but they still get guys. Like they're still beating Xavier out for recruits. Yeah, I mean, so UConn's still getting guys. If you look at their start, you know, I agree, the, but their their concern is going forward no, in the AAC. Not, they will not. We're on. We're close to on the same page. I'm just saying, like that they're still getting guys, and I get they're worried about now. the long term. Yeah, the, they're worried about the long term ramifications of it because it does. If they it like. They haven't. They've been far inferior to Cincinnati since Shabazz Napier left in this conference in terms of where they finish, what their record is. I mean, they're they're in Mark Godfrey territory, being five hundred every year almost in this league, or being you know nine and seven or whatever it is, and finishing fifth and sixth place in this conference. They're they're just and they can blame this year on injuries all they want, but they lost to Wagner when they had everybody healthy. It just it, it's not a good it's not a well constructed team. And they're going to have issues either place that they are. And I, I totally get that if you continue to be the fifth place team in the American every year, your perception is, is ultimately going to tank. 
Yeah. Well, and the other part too is is, is look at the non rev sports too. I mean, look where you have to travel for your non revs. You have yeah. to travel to Dallas. You have to travel to Houston. You have to travel to Memphis. You have to travel to New Orleans. In the Big East, really, your only awful travel trip for them would be traveling out to Omaha to play play Creighton in some sports. I mean, there, there's not a ton of awful travel. There's at least some close travel as well. So they have to look at that factor. The other factor, though, is supposedly that don't they have a a, a huge exit fee they'd have to pay to get out of the AAC? Yeah, well, ten million at least. Yeah. Um, but you know, if there's some type of penalty for for getting out of the contract early, um, that yeah, it's it's probably going to be more than that. And the biggest problem for them is they're running at a big deficit. Their athletic yeah, department, yeah, absolutely. Is. So they're they're yeah, really strapped in a similar way that UC is financially. Well, and and, and what isn't talked about is the the subsidy money from the Big East breaking up is about to run out. Right. And I'm sure they're looking at that with that. You know, that's a ten million dollar check that's coming in that's been coming in every year that they're about to not get, and they're already running, you know, big time behind. So I'm sure that that, that clock ticking is uh, very much in the back of their mind saying, uh-oh. Right. Well, I mean, and that's the other yeah. thing. AAC isn't – I mean, we're looking at this year. There's, what, two tournament teams? That's that, it. That's going to hurt you with money going forward, too. You're not you're having right. exactly. tournament credits you're not, that the Big East is not sharing. Exactly right. You're not sharing that that same thing. Thank goodness for their women's team. I guess. By the way, real quick, I just, I just have to mention this. Uh, Mo Egger had Sean Kilpatrick on his show the other day. It was a great interview, um, and it, he he brought up something that was just really interesting to me that I hadn't thought of. You were talking about Shabazz Napier, Chad. What, think about the fact that if we go back to that time period, yeah. who would have picked SK to be the better pro, significantly better pro over Shabazz Napier? I, I, how many of us looked at SK and said, "There's no way he can make it in the NBA." I did. I mean, obviously. I did. Obviously. I, was, I did. <laughs> but, but, I mean, to compa- when you do the Shabazz-Napier comparison, thinking about how much better of a pro he's been than Shabazz and is think currently, about, it's like, what the hell happened there? Think about the other guy in that league that was also a first-team. There were three first-team All-Americans in that league. Shabazz, Russ Smith, and SK. And the only one with a successful NBA career at this point is SK. It, it, you would have probably had him third on that list. It's pretty cool. Very cool. I do want to touch on one other offshoot of this, too, the, the, the fact if UConn does go to the Big East, that the concept, Rick, of, of playing um, 20 league 20. games. G- give me the pros and cons. Um, to, to me, I mean, if, if, if the team you're adding is UConn, it, there's really no downside, I don't think. I mean, you lose a little control over your non-conference, obviously, and coaches and staffs never like that. But, I mean, from a Xavier perspective, UConn's about – as good as you can hope to add in terms of a home-and-home series. Mm So um, just adding that to your schedule to where you don't have to find a team of that caliber. Now, they're not what they were a few years ago, but that's still a very solid name to be able to schedule in a home-and-home. And And if Xavier had them in the non-conference, everyone would be pleased with that. So I I love the uh, double-round-robin format with league play. I do, too. I I do, too. Um, So if they join you have to go to 20 games, in my opinion. I don't think the unbalanced schedule will work in this conference. Or, well, it'll work, but I won't enjoy it. Well, the ACC is also going to 20 games, I believe, in either 18, 19, or 19, 20. I can't remember. Right. I think it's 19, 19 20. 19. Oh, I thought yeah, it was maybe it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, it, but it, it's, it's, it's coming in a couple of years at the very least. Um, from an outsider's view, people, people wonder, well, why would you do that and cost yourself two non-conference games where you could either schedule easy or you could schedule hard? I think the pro to it is, you know, you set you set your RPI or whatever number, whatever figure you want to use for a, from a matrix standpoint. You set that from whatever you schedule outside. Then when you beat each other up in the conference, all you're doing is jumble the number around. You're really not killing yourself as much as it looks like. Right, right, and that's the thing. I mean, Xavier isn't a team that wants to schedule cupcakes in the non-conference or would rather replace that with a, a buy game in the 300s. You know, I mean, they'd be looking for a, a game like this, I would assume, and it'd be tough for them to schedule one quite honestly because we've talked about that Xavier and UC are not in an easy position in terms of scheduling um, in the non-conference in terms of getting big series because the top tier teams don't want to ever come to UC or Xavier and they don't want to be bought by those teams so they're not coming and then the teams at their level are hesitant to do it because i mean that's a they loss know they'll lose. yeah right so uh, well, Chad, I'll, I'll ask you then on, on the american because the american then would go down to to having um uh, a chance to, to have a 20 game league if they went home and home obviously right now it's an unbalanced schedule you play a chunk of the team's home and home but you don't play them all could you foresee the american doing something similar all they do right now that's different is you have one team that you don't play at home one team you don't play on the road so it's it's mostly incredibly balanced but no what i think would happen is wichita state would be coming to the American. Okay. 
If you remember, there were talks about that a couple yep. Probably yep. six six weeks ago that sprouted up. I guarantee that stemmed from UConn, you know, possibly. Now, from what I've heard from inside the conference, you know, everybody says that it's not happening and, and UConn has assured the conference that they're not doing it and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the other intel that Rick and I have is that, you know, it's it's very much there's been talks. And I've heard the Big East has been talks in talks with more than just UConn. That, yeah. that, that they might expand it by more than just that. Oh, I, I, I see. I've heard that there were other teams that they talked to, but they were looking to add one. They were not just add one. Add yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever the option would be would just be add one and then go to that double round robin format. I mean, right. that, that that makes that makes logical sense. That being said, um, I don't I don't think the Big East is in a rush or necessarily feels like they have to add one. Right. But they do get a, they do get a bump up in money from Fox if they make this move too. They're, if they grow by by another team, there is more money. That comes in the Fox contract, so teams do get a little bump. To they're not just splitting the money, another you know an eleventh way. Which they, they, wouldn't touch add, on... they, they wouldn't add if they had to do it that way. You wouldn't think because it's not there's not a ton of money anyway in that contract. If no. they had to, to feed another mouth off of that same pie, it wouldn't be feasible. Correct. I do want to touch on Kentucky for a second because they, they, they got a revenge victory against Tennessee. And, and you talked about this maybe two weeks ago of basically just saying, you know what, we're going to put our best offensive team out on the floor and, 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 and to hell with defense because we can't play it anyway. Um, Derek Willis came in and shot the ball pretty well. I don't know if that's the philosophy now, but he certainly helped them shooting the ball the other night against Tennessee. Yeah, I thought that was that was a good look. With Derek, a lot of times it's just whether he's making shots or, or yeah. whether he's not. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is we did see them, on that note, go a little bit more to kind of that baseline runner offense where everything's running through Malik Monk, similar to what we saw them do with Jamal Murray last season. Yep. Yeah, and, and obviously where things set up now, they, they've got at Georgia, which will be a difficult game, then at Missouri, which will not be a difficult game. But if you get through Georgia, you'll get through Missouri. And it sets up a pretty good showdown on the 25th at home against Florida. Well, man, stinks for Florida because I, I thought John Igbunu was their second most important player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he gave them rim protection. He gave them some toughness and some rebounding. Um, he gave them some size and a physical presence that anchored that defense. I think it, it hurts them substantially. You know, he's not the big name guy. He's not Edmund Sumner. He's not Mo Watson. Um, but another guy down with an ACL this year, it feels like that has been a, a common theme throughout this basketball season. And, and it's been guys that are, that are key critical pieces to teams. And I, I think that hurts Florida substantially. Well, I mean, he's I mean, you know, he's averaging eleven and a half points and six and a half rebounds, and you're right, it gives you the toughness that 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 maybe they don't have otherwise. So it, it is a big loss for them, no question. And I think you know we've we've joked about Florida a decent amount this year, but to your point, Skinny, I don't think they're a team that has like a lot of wiggle room or a lot of margin right. for error. You know, they were a team that kind of fit together well and was gelling together well and and playing together as a unit. But you take you take a big piece out of that. I just don't. Don't know how well they recover from it, like, like most teams, obviously, but them especially. Yep. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Bob Huggins on Monday watched his team melt down and, and, and lose to, at Kansas. Not only did they lose that game, but Bob Huggins lost twenty five grand in the process. Yeah, twenty five grand every time. Well, he doesn't. It, that he donates the money straight to charity, which I'm sure the charity was upset. But uh, twenty twenty five grand for every for every win against Kansas, and I mean that was epic. And here's here's the amazing thing to me on that loss, Skinny. They were up 14 with two minutes and 45 seconds to go. Yep. No, normally in a collapse in that situation, it's 16 to 2. They scored seven points in the final 245 and still lost. Which, yeah, what you would think with that lead would would, would be would you be able to milk your seven, way home? Yeah, seven points should be able to most assuredly get you home in the final two forty five with a fourteen point lead. But they, I mean, you talk about the old adage, press the presser, put pressure on the team that likes to press because they can't handle it. Holy cow, they completely fell apart when Kansas turned up the heat. I mean, your freshman team makes better decisions with the ball against pressure than what West Virginia showed in that final two and a half minutes the other night. That was off. It, it felt like every possession down that stretch lasted three seconds either way. That, that was, yeah. And that's why they were able to milk that last 245. It was embarrassing. It was a terrible job. Like, 
West Virginia deserves no credit and, and like you can't say anything positive about what they did. I will say something that's bothering me about these end of game scenarios when we saw the same thing with Xavier Creighton when Creighton was coming back and Xavier barely avoided a, a collapse down the stretch. Russ just letting all types of things yeah. go when these teams no are out pressuring. My brother had a great um, little video clip from that game of Frank Mason leaping across the end line multiple times, nearly smacking the dude who's inbounding the ball. I mean, he, he's jumping into him, like touching him. And then the guy nearly falls inbounds, throws it away. And there's no call from the ref. And the ref's right there watching the right line. There. Like, I don't know how you missed that and act like that didn't cause the turnover and there well, were fouls and, that they're letting go. I mean, it's I would just, say then there was there was extra physicality too when the ball came in bounds. You got guys in traps. There was a ton of physicality, which is what we saw in the, the Xavier Creighton game too. And it's just like I've, it's not obviously just those two games. I've seen it other times, but those were just two really vivid recent examples I saw where I thought the the they really just let everything go in those final minutes. And I I don't really want to see that to be honest. I like I like the exciting comeback, but that was a little bit too much. Um, one team that we talked about early in the year, and they were a train wreck for a period of time, and I wonder if now Coach K is going to come back because Duke is, is, has kind of gotten things going the right way. I Rick, hate you. Rick, Rick saw his favorite stat of the night last night. Duke 17-2 and two and Coach K is on the sidelines. It's already starting. Gary Parrish was saying it on the, the um, post-game show on CBS last night. I mean, it's this is so ridiculous. Oh, great job, Coach K. The team with nine McDonald's All-Americans, just an insane group of talent that you assembled and you couldn't get to play well earlier in the season, is finally starting to figure out that they're better than everyone else. Congratulations on that. Thank God you're such a good coach and you're so courageous to come back and figure this thing out for those young men. You are really the MVP this year, Coach. Can't wait to hear about that all freaking tournament. It's going to be nonstop. You're going to hear the record with Coach K and without Coach K a hundred times, and people are going to pin this on your boy Capel, Skinny. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but but I will say, though, they are playing very, very well right yeah, now. Yeah, you know why? Because like I told you at the beginning of the year, Jason Tatum could be a number one pick overall, and he's playing like it. Yeah, I had 21 points in the second half last night. So, uh, and then to get them a win at, at Virginia, I mean, they've got some really good wins of late at Notre Dame, beating Carolina, winning at Virginia. Um, that's a pretty good little little run they've got going right now. There I know, I know, much to your disappointment. There hasn't been a team with more talent than this since like '96 Kentucky. I'm, here, I'm, I'm hearing that they got Harry Giles, Jason Tatum, <laughs> Neil Jefferson. Duke. They're the Dukies. Oh, my heaven. <laughs> You're talking about them winning games? I'm wondering how they lost so many, Skinny. They got Luke Tenard. You have a talking Jeff Cable. talking Allen? Jeff Cable. My. We're talking, oh. we're talking Jeff Cable. Oh. So where are you from? What? Rest in peace, Charlie. Let me, let me let Chad go off on this one. Sounds like your guy's about to get whacked at NC State. I, see, I, I've never promoted for him to be fired. I, I would like him to stay there because I enjoy the punching bag. Six straight. They've lost six straight games since that win at Duke. Hey. They've given up 85, 100, 84, 95, 88, and 97 points in, that, in, their, in their six-game losing streak. That Skinny, gets you fired. Skinny, you got to give them credit. They cut that. They lost by half the points they lost to North Carolina the last time. Great That's point. a good point. You're That's right. That's a great point. They lost by they lost by 24 this time, but don't forget the last one, though, was they only lost by that much because the game was postponed today, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. His team just his team was ready the day before, uh, but they weren't ready the next day, which is, <laughs> hard is to, really Hard to get really locked in for 48 straight hours. It's really oh, it's impossible. It's impossible. For, for um, but but it looks like he, he, he won't be your punching bag anymore. That, that's what it sounds like. Well, and, and the, what people don't realize is where this started originally long, many, many moons ago was dealing with, with Kentucky fans that would try to say how the sec was better than they get credit for in basketball. And they would always use Mark Gottfried because he recruited the, you know, outside of Kentucky, he was recruiting the most talent in the league to Alabama. I'm sure. It yeah, was yeah, all... he, he, and, he, and he really did. I mean, he, he had some really good players there. No question. He had one good year there. Almost every year after that, they were eight and eight. And he yep. just kind of became my punching bag from that because they would always hold him up as like, you know, the guy that's right there that's going to challenge Kentucky in the SEC. And then he finished eight and eight every year. 
and I just beat on him and beat on him and beat on him. And then he showed up at North Carolina State, and the refrain has been almost identical, and here we go. Now, the interesting question is, is this is going to start up the coaching carousel, boys, and Archie Miller is an NC State alum. There's been many talks for quite a while that he was waiting for that job, but now it sounds like if you talk to some insiders, they think maybe not. Maybe yeah. he's waiting for Ohio State, and there's a lot of talk that Thad Mata might step down after this season, citing health reasons. Um, I think we're going to have a very interesting coaching carousel coming up here in a couple weeks. And you didn't yeah. even mention our friends in Bloomington. Yeah. Um, apparently, he's been told he's got one more year. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, we'll see how they close that, out. That's what he's been told. <laughs> And, and as, as, goofy, as goofy as it sounds, they still have a, have an outside shot. Not even outside; they still have an okay shot to maybe make the tournament. Now they got to do something. They're going to have to probably they're going to have to beat Northwestern at home. They're probably going to have to beat Ohio State on the road, and they're going to probably have to beat Iowa because I don't think they win at Purdue. Um, so they still have some work to do, but they've got a shot to make it still. You know, the interesting question on that, Rick, is is he smart enough to get out of Dodge first? Uh, to, I think that would have been probably after last year, to be quite honest. At this point, yeah. I, I think he's screwed either way. Uh, and, and even if they give him one more year, he's getting fired after next year. Like, Yeah, the, I, I don't think he's getting one more year, to be honest. Well, but again, if they make the, if they, if they make the tournament, though, if he sneaks his team in the tournament? I don't think that's enough unless they make a run in the tournament. Okay. Uh, to be honest, like I just, I just think the, the the mind's been made up. Like Chad said, even if he gets another year, the mind's been made up. They're going to push him out. Yeah, right, right. So you might as well do it now, rather than rather than wait. Right. So, it's it's all about buyout money, I'm sure. Which at in right, Bloomington right. rarely seems to matter all that much when it comes down to who their basketball coach is. So Rick, how many times are we going to hear Chris Mack and Mick Cronin in this coaching carousel? Um, well, all of them. Yeah, I'm guessing a lot, especially if that Indiana job opens up. Uh, I think it's going to be the coaching carousel. It's been kind of quiet on the Xavier side. I know last year there was obviously the mixed stuff. I don't, I don't think it's going to be quiet this this time around. I think it's going to be uh, pretty noisy on both of our sites. And don't don't forget, NC State tried to hire Mick before they got to Gottfried the last time around. Yeah, so. yeah. People forget that legitimately. People do legitimately forget that. Um, it, their names are going to come up, I think, a ton. So we'll see how it goes. All right, boys, final take time from either one of you. You start, Chad, if you got one. Nothing really that, that pops off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I was going to do a little West Virginia stuff um, on the fact that you still have these Cincinnati fans. Eh, well, I might as well do it. You still have these Cincinnati <laughs> fans that – that that look at them and like you know they they pull for West Virginia and they want you know Bob to do well. Here's a newsflash: if Bob Huggins walked past the University of Cincinnati and the place was on fire, he wouldn't piss on it to put it out. Which might unless be, he had too much. Hang on, unless he had too much to drink and he had to relieve himself. Well, that might be a good thing considering the blood alcohol content would probably ignite the flames instead of. That's a good point. There you go. But I, I just don't get like if you you know I I, I get you know, that there, there's love for Huggins because of what he did while he was here. The part that I don't understand is if you're a UC guy, why do you care about a guy that got, doesn't give a damn about you? And, and you know they, they'll quickly say, "Well, Nancy fired him. Well, he shouldn't have been leaning out the window of his car, puking out the door on a police camera." I mean, there. The 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 love for that man in this town, and you notice when they they did the '92 uh, reunion, he didn't say anything about the city. He talked about the guys on that team and how much of a pleasure they were to coach. He didn't say thank you to the fans. He didn't, you know, he I didn't. Think, I think he did shut out Crescent Springs uh, alcohol liquor, liquor yeah. store. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Cre- cre- the Crescent Springs li- t- tobacco and liquor store. Yeah, there it is. He shouted that out for uh, a couple bottles of wine, a bottle of uh, Mad Dog, bottle of Woodford, 20, and a bottle of Woodford. Uh, Bottle of Woodford that he drinks in 32-ounce cups with two ice cubes. I imagine he had the 64-ounce cup after that uh, meltdown. (laughs) I'll bet he did. I'll bet he did. I I just – let it go. Let him go. Let Bob go. And I'm going to get crushed on my board for this because there's some of them that are still around. But let him go. The reason being I laughed when they lost because I enjoyed it, and you should too. 
That's All right, there it is. How, how, how about from you, Rick? You got a final take? Yeah, I've got two quick things here. Both of them involve uh, cussing. First of all, Kansas State's president has asked their fans to stop chanting vulgar things. They were chanting FKU in, in the middle of the, like, in, in between their chants, you know? And yep. he does not want that to happen anymore, which I think is probably a good idea because I remember oh. back, <laughs> back when I was in high school, we uh, there was a thing where they were doing the da, 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 hey you suck at college games. So yeah, our correct. student section started doing that, and God bless uh, Corey Miller and Clay Eifert. They got on the uh, morning announcements the next morning and ripped me personally a new ass. Oh wow! For, they called uh, you wow. out by name. Yeah, like like apparently I was running that deal. I don't know. I was the uh, the slanger of cuss words in our student section. So I I believe it. So uh, there you go. It, it was sucks, not f, but you know. Still got reprimanded. Uh, second of all, Larry Eustacey, coach at Colorado State. Um, kind of an interesting situation, in my opinion, because they, they showed these reports where they had a long investigation, talked to, I think, 14 different people, had tons of different stories about kind of his outbursts and his rage. It doesn't seem to be like a Mike Rice situation. It doesn't seem like he hit any kids or threw balls at them. Uh, it seems like it was a lot of he called kids effing C's. Um, he was being mean. Did a lot of lot of cussing, threw uh, some soda cans that were unopened against the wall, punted some basketballs up into the bleachers at practice. That's just, that, that skinny's in trouble. Skinny, I'm going to say, like, <laughs> I don't know if we're describing the Beachwood freshman coach right now or Larry Eustacey. How do you feel about this? Well, I, I haven't used the, the, the one thing you said. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't called players that. That is, that is a little step over the line. I but um, I've, I've put in a basketball to the ceiling. I just make sure nobody gets hurt by it. That's all. Well, I'm just I mean, who's, who's, who's getting hurt other than the basketball? Okay, but in all seriousness, we joke yeah, about basketballs that. Basketballs have feelings too, Kenny. We joke You're about right. that stuff. But the let's talk about the you know getting personally cussing at kids because, quite honestly, yes. this happens all the time. And we've seen Cal caught on TV calling – kids selfish mfers um and yep. people kind of got upset about that like but this is a thing that coaches all do now they don't all Absolutely. say call them effing c's they don't get quite as yes. personal necessarily but it's a very very thin line between what you stacy did and what i'd say 80 percent of your head d1 coaches say, say on a daily basis like how do you honestly how do you feel about this do you think this is a fireable offense or no Golly, gosh I, I, darn, Rick. My name's Josh Passner, and I really just I, – I, I can't stand those young whippersnappers that use that foul language to get their boys motivated. All you have to do is say positive words and encourage them, and they will follow you through hell and back. Did I say hell? Damn it. All H-E-double hockey sticks, you fool. <laughs> I mean, it's real-world conversation. That's what it is. I, it, I think the one thing is, if you're constantly doing that and that's all you do is berate kids and beat them down, I think, I think A, you're in the wrong, and then, B, you're going to you're gonna end up losing your players that way. I mean, you have to have some level of, of positivity. I mean, there, there has to be both sides of it. That when guys are doing the right things, you tell them they're doing the right things. I, I, I can't speak to the case with Larry Eustachie. It, it does sound like he... He might have been a little over the edge, but based on the stuff that I've read so far on it, it doesn't it doesn't sound completely awful. And he wasn't I mean, he didn't do anything physical to the players. Um, you know what it sounds like skinny basketball. They were looking practice. for a reason to fire him. It sounds like basketball practice is what they described. Right, right. At any at any probably university and maybe even most high schools in this country, really and truly. I mean, maybe not to the to, to the complete stage you do it as a college basketball coach, but look. It's, that's real-world talk, okay? Um, you may be offended by it if you hear it sitting in a restaurant or if you hear it on a bus, but it, it's just it's real-world talk. And, and um, just, again, based on what I'm sure you guys have read, too, it, it, it doesn't sound like you completely crossed the, crossed the line. I, do you agree or disagree? I, I, well, I agree. I, it's, it's an interesting case for me because I'm always on the side of – I think a lot of these coaches are losers that are always mad. And, I, you know what I mean? Like make b- basketball the most miserable thing in the world – for their players, I've always thought that's ridiculous. I always think it's a bad way to get your team behind you. Um, that being said, like a guy like Bob Huggins seems to do really well with a similar style. Like he well, kind of seems to be a, an always in your face and nothing's ever good enough type of guy. But he's had a lot of su- 
success doing that. But, and I, think but I also think I, I think he's a guy. Honestly, I think when you don't see him, I think yeah. he pr- is is probably more positive than people believe with his players. I really believe I, that. I just I think it's the intensity of the moment, and that's the way he believes he's going to drive his players in that moment. And then maybe in a in a quieter time, you, you put your arm around the kid's neck and you, you tell him, "Hey, these these five things you really did well in this game, and that's why we won it." I, I think he's that kind of guy. I really do. I, I agree, and I think I think I was going to finish by saying I think the difference between guys like that Huggins who have a lot of success and their players really seem to respect them despite them always berating them and and really getting into them at times is what you said Skinny. I think they do a really good job of developing that relationship and establishing that I really care about you off the court first Um, but you know I'm going to be a a tough SOB from three to five o'clock when we have practice or from seven to nine when we're on the court playing a game this is what you're going to get out of me. And my guess is that you, Stacy, and, and other guys like him who lose their locker rooms don't do that first. They are just always that tough SOB, and their kids don't like them. Oh. Um, I think it's we're just in a different time in 2017. You are if people don't like you, they will complain. And if you've talked to people like this, you will get fired pretty much regardless of what your job is, unless it's how- president. I wonder how many of uh, the girlfriends on the team he hooked up with drunk at a bar one night. That, that, actually, I, I, I like that Larry Stacey scandal. I don't have a problem with that. Well, and, and that's the other thing I was going to say is he's probably got a very short leash because of the past. I mean, Yeah, well, and, and Rick, I think to your point, I think what you see a lot now is those anger days or, you know, the quote-unquote anger days where they're yelling and screaming in practice, that stuff is scripted anymore. Like, yeah, exactly. It's fake. You know, you know today you got to put your foot on the gas and you're going to be tough on this guy or you're going you're gonna to really drive this message home. And then the next day the coach is laughing and in a good mood and joking around and, and has his foot off the gas. I think anymore a lot of that stuff is, is, is scripted to, by the coach in that he woke up that morning and decided – Today is going to be, you know, yesterday I didn't like, and today I'm going to put my foot on the gas. And right. it's not, it's not quote unquote real. Like 90% of them, I don't think are really that angry. Now you do have your guys that are flat out miserable, which matches, you know, most of, of college fans anymore these days. They just, they want to be miserable and they want to wallow. Uh, go read, uh, go read the, the, the game thread on South Florida on Bearcat Journal for the first half and, Everybody was still mad about SMU. <laughs> they were up 10, and that wasn't enough. And, you know, it, it, people want to be upset. They yep. want to be, be miserable about their team. And I, I don't get it. I mean, for me, I, I got into this because I wanted fun. Like, I wanted to enjoy what I did. And to me, sports is fun, and it should be fun. But for many, it's not anymore. It's I, And I don't get it. Like, isn't that supposed to be, like, how you get away from your terrible day at work or, or whatever is going on in your life. You sit down and you watch some sports and you relax and you enjoy yourself. But I think they use that, it as like a way to vent more, yeah, more than is. anything, honestly. I, it is. Yeah. They can't beat their wife, so you might as well just cuss out J.P. Makira. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, honestly, that, that's a better solution, really. Yeah. Also, update on our guy, LeVar Ball. Um, oh, yes. L- LaMelo yeah. is going to be better than Steph Curry. We can just leave it there. Come and see him when they win it. He is the best. He is the best. You, you realize we're going we're, we're to have to get him on the podcast. He, he'll probably do it. Maybe we can get him to send us big baller brand shirts. How Ooh, sweet would that be, be great. If, if that was the official uniform of the Skinny Podcast? Big baller brand. Could you imagine Skinny walking to the NKU game with that on? Oh, That'd man. be awesome. That's a podcast. That'd be awesome. Legendary. Hey, All right, got, that's, that's, a, that, that's the next thing we got to work on, fellas. It really is. Shout out to Omaha Steaks, by the way. Came through in a big way. When's, nice. the, when's the Skinny Podcast grill out? Yeah, grilling with skinny podcast. We we've got to figure out the right date for Jed Demusi now that the stakes are in. I mean, yes, Sunday indeed. seems it, good it, for me. We're gonna have good weather but, coming up. I I think Sunday may have to be the day. I may have to reach out to him out in Goodyear and see if uh, he can come back and, and be our uh, grill master. Oh, for, <laughs> that that may be a little bit of an issue. I didn't realize he was in Arizona. No, no, no. He's back. He's back. He's coming back Saturday, so oh, he'll okay. be back. Well, then he'll be back so, in plenty of time. What's a little exactly. jet lag? So yeah, maybe. That's all right. You 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 can grill jet lag. It's, I've done it. We've yeah. all done it. Yeah. Except for you, Rick. You can't grill. Yeah, that's true. Uh, All right. Also, people need to go listen to the new Angry Guys also. It is ridiculous. You told a story about a guy pooping himself that you used to work with as you are playing softball with him. Yeah, I'll, I'll even share the story here real quickly. We were it's playing ridiculous. in a, a, a league in, in, in Franzen Field in Villa Hills. It was a Sunday afternoon league. High-quality um, league. High-quality league. He's playing left field. I'm playing left center. And a guy hits just this nice routine can of corn to left field. I just kind of jog over because it's going to be the end of the inning. I'm starting to jog in a little bit. All of a sudden, he goes, you got to take it, you got to take it, you got to take it. I'm like, okay, and I run after it, and I catch it. 
He goes running off the field. I come jogging in. I'm like, one of the guys was like, what in the world? I said, I, I don't know. So he, he, he comes out of the bathroom. I said, dude, what happened? He goes, right as that ball was coming out, I crapped my pants. <laughs> I thought, well, buddy, I guess you can't catch it when you crap your pants. Dude, that's Tremendous a, stuff. That, that, is, my pants. that is not performing under adversity. No, it's not. No, it's I not. Mean, you got to fight through minute- that. The minute you see a fly ball coming your way, you crap yourself. Well, and then maybe, you don't maybe. make the catch afterwards. Like, crapping exactly. yourself is one thing. Sometimes it's got to happen, but you got to make the play. You can't just rely <laughs> on skinny speed. That's, yeah, exactly. Heck, I, I can't even believe he, he relied on me to come get that ball. That, that should have been like a triple in the gap. Uh, no, no doubt. Also, uh, Gamble saying all former athletes are dumb because they can't use the English language, and then 30 seconds later saying absorbed instead of absorbed, was laugh out loud funny. I was you, you, you got to admit, I, I, I called him out you pretty quickly him. on that. Oh, I crushed him. Crushed him. <laughs> and, and just to send us off, can we get a little uh, impression from you on your poker face, Lady Gaga? Or not poker face, <laughs> but whatever Lady Gaga song you do. Just dreadful. <laughs> just dreadful. All right, boys, that's it for the podcast. We will be back this uh, this weekend actually recapping all the weekend action and maybe even uh, eating some steak while we're doing it. Oh, you you want to hear my great story from the morning? No. Yes. So I like little, great stories. Little one, little one gets sick like 7 o'clock. Today is um, daddy-daughter uh, ice cream day at the school. So me and my dad, we're going to go and meet her at class for ice cream. So she insists, I feel better. I'm not sick. I'm going to school. I wanted to be there for daddy-daughter ice cream day. And, and let's be honest, if your kid is fighting to go to school and she didn't have a fever, you, you essentially give in and say, fine, go to school, right? Absolutely. So we get in the car. We get a quarter of the way up the block. And I've got a, a brand-new 2016 car that I just bought a month ago. What's she do? Pukes in it. Oh, yeah. It's on you. Oh, Oh yeah, that's on you. That's on you. It's on you. Dashboard, seat, floorboard. That, that sounds like that Should sounds like you're going to be having that car. That sounds like you're going to be having that car detailed this weekend. Is that right? That's probably yeah. It's probably going to have to be the case. And she looked at me, and I'm like, I. <laughs> and then she said, "I'm ready for some ice cream." Yeah, nice. And not only was she sick, but she got yelled at at her dad for puking. That's that's no, really I, nice. I I refrained. I just my head wanted to explode. <laughs> Uh, that's good stuff. All right, boys, we're back. Maybe eating steaks on Sunday. Certainly talking some college basketball. Uh, enjoy the weekend of hoops, and uh, we're back uh, with another podcast next week. 